This is the Bird Hugger Podcast with Katherine Greenleaf, the podcast for people who love birds. Welcome to the Bird Hugger Podcast. I'm Katherine Greenleaf, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm on board for a full 30 minutes of talking all things birds and restoring native habitat. What happens when a burnt-out college professor living in New England decides to become a wildlife rescuer and rehabilitator? Find out on Bird Hugger, the podcast for people who love birds. Join host Katherine Greenleaf, who has been rehabilitating injured wildlife for 20 years, and hear how you can turn your backyard into a native oasis for birds. Hello there, everybody. I hope you're all keeping warm. It's been a mighty cold winter so far. The good news is that it is staying lighter a little longer each day. It won't be long until spring arrives and we'll be back outside in our native gardens. In preparation for spring, I thought it would be a good idea to have Hardy Kern join us on the show. Hardy is the Director of Government Relations at the American Bird Conservancy. He has some important new information to share with us about the effects of insecticides on birds. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you are enjoying this show and like what we do, please help us out by subscribing or following us on your favorite app to access our free show. That way you'll get notified of what's coming, you'll never miss a show, and it will help us in the ratings. Okay, and now I'd like to introduce Hardy Kern to the show. Hardy, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here. Well, we're so happy to have you on the show. I know you've got some important news that you want to share with us. I know you have a report that just came out. Can you tell our listeners about it? This year, in 2023, American Bird Conservancy published a new report. It is it's a doozy. It's well over 100 pages long, and it's called Neonicotinoid Insecticides Failing to Come to Grips with a Predictable Environmental Disaster. And it talks about the ways that the most commonly used insecticide chemicals in all of North America, which are neonicotinoids or neonics for short, are impacting birds especially and lots of other wildlife as well, the different routes of exposure, and it gives a really in-depth look at different ways we feel that regulatory agencies and the state governments and the federal government can really make a difference in this ongoing crisis. Wow. So can you tell us some of the findings? I would be more than glad to. And I am not sure if you're able to link to things after the show or put in the description, but we have some awesome fact sheets. We have one that is our report in brief, and I will save your listeners from pouring through 191 pages of text and citations. So some of the the most important findings that came out of this report are talking about ways that birds and other wildlife continue to be very negatively impacted by neonicotinoid insecticides. And just to give it a little bit of background, we published a report 10 years ago in 2013 that talked about neonics and how they're starting to be very widely used in the United States. Again, this is about 10 years ago, and it was almost a foreshadowing of what could come if something drastic does not happen to limit the use of neonics in the North American landscape. It's 10 years later, and the report can best be summarized as 
hardly anything has changed since we put out this warning 10 years ago, and we are seeing a lot of really negative consequences, and we would love to help state agencies, federal agencies, and legislatures, both small and large, do something to really impact this. So some of the most important things that came out of this report that were not in the last one are that the three most used neonicotinoid insecticides. Also, I, I apologize to your listeners. There's a lot of very long technical names that come along when you do pesticide work. But the biggest takeaway to have is just that neonics in general all work about the same. But the three most used chemicals, which are imidacloprid, clothianidin, and thiamethoxam, not only are toxic to birds when they are directly ingested, so they can lead to death and lots of convulsions and neurological disorders, but we also see a lot of reproductive impacts. In some species, exposure to neonics has led to smaller clutch sizes, so fewer eggs being laid. It's led to the sperm of males being oddly formed and not able to actually penetrate an egg and the female to form an egg. So it's really getting in the way of their ability to reproduce. It messes with their navigational systems in some species. So even if they are exposed to a neonic and they're not right away killed by it, they might not be able to find their way south or be able to navigate as they're supposed to if it's a migratory species. There's even effects that we've seen where birds start to experience just general organ decline or more concerningly, weight loss. Humans hear weight loss and we get all excited. We think it's great. We're looking forward to different ways to lose weight for birds, especially birds that are covering hundreds, if not thousands of miles as they're going north to south or south to north. Keeping weight on is really important because they might go hundreds of miles or days at a time without having anywhere to stop and eat food. If they've been exposed to a neonic, some smaller species such as sparrows, uh, different types of swallows, blackbirds, they're not able to keep fat stores on them like they normally would be, which means they'll have to stop more frequently. They could be more frequently subjected to adverse weather events. And basically, it just makes it much, much harder for them to migrate where they're supposed to be. I think the, the most interesting two findings that came out of this report, though, are that number one, with the mitigations that the Environmental Protection Agency has put forward, which is their way of saying, here's how we feel you can safely use these chemicals. They're underestimating the toxicity of some neonics up to 17 times, which means some neonics and some of their uses may be 17 times deadlier to migratory birds than they're currently being accounted for. And the other one is that neonics are when they're coated on the outside of a seed, they're very brightly colored. It almost looks like a packet of Skittles or other brightly colored candies. This doesn't look like a kernel that you would pull off a, a corn on the cob or anything like that. And part of that is so that growers know that this is a seed that has a pesticide on the outside, but it's also supposed to work a little bit as a deterrent. It's supposed to be so that if a bird does fly down into a freshly plowed and planted field and they eat one of these brightly colored seeds and they ingest it, they might get a little bit sick. And then the next time when they see one of those seeds, they're going to go, oh, I remember the last time I ate a seed that looked like that. I got sick. I'm not going to do it again. Neonics are so deadly that for many birds, when they eat just one seed, that's enough to kill them. 
Or if they don't die, the sublethal effects might be everything from convulsions to inability to navigate, like we talked about earlier, to having some of their system shut down. They might not be able to see, which means that they are more susceptible to predators. It's more likely that they might collide with other objects, even uh, some man human-made objects, I should say. And uh, one one point that's made in the report by the scientist that we contracted to write it is he basically says, you know, even if these seeds are not directly killing birds when we're using them, can we really say that it's right that thousands, if not millions of birds are experiencing neurological convulsions every time they come down and eat these seeds in the process of learning not to eat them? We do stick to the science, but that was one of the things that really stood out for me. So I apologize. I've been rambling quite a bit there. I'll, I'll give myself a break. No, you're not rambling at all. I mean, it's just staggering to hear about the effects. Could you talk maybe about how many millions or billions of pounds of this pesticide is distributed? I would be more than happy to. And it's it's really difficult to exactly quantify it because of some weird loopholes that exist in the way that the federal government regulates pesticides. So if you have a neonicotinoid chemical and you are going to spray it over your field or if you're going to apply it to the soil, and there are certainly cases where a neonic might be the best tool for the job, you as somebody using one, if you're a farmer or somebody who's doing some commercial pesticide work, you have to record it and say, this is how much I sprayed. This is the area I sprayed it on. Very, very common. The biggest use of neonics in the United States, however, is as a seed coating. So it's put on the outside of a corn seed, soybeans, wheat, cotton, potatoes, different fruits and vegetables, all sorts of different, very common agricultural products. And due to a weird loophole in federal legislation, if you take that same neonic, where if I spray it out of an airplane or out of a backpack sprayer, I have to write it down, it's a pesticide. As soon as it's put on the outside of a seed and then planted in the ground, it's no longer legally considered a pesticide. That means that if I'm a grower who's using it, I don't have to report it in the same way. I don't have to track it in the same way. In many cases, it's not illegal for me to dispose of it improperly. So if, if you have regular agricultural chemicals and you dump them down a drain, that's an illegal dumping of um, a chemical. If it's a seed that's coated with a pesticide, there is no legally enforceable way or there's no legally enforceable method of disposal. There's recommendations, but there's nothing that actually says you absolutely have to dispose of it this way. And I'm going on this long story in response to your question about how much is used to say it's really difficult to know exactly how many millions, that's millions with an M, pounds of neonics alone are used because they don't have the same reporting requirements as many other chemicals do. What we do know for sure is that pretty close to 90 or 95% of all corn grown in the United States is grown from a seed that has a neonic on the outside of it. At least 50% of all soybeans grown in the United States, so a lot of soy is grown for biofuels, a lot's grown for feeding livestock, anything we have that's made out of soy, about 50% of that, if not more, is grown from seeds that are coated with a neonic. 
It's anywhere between 20 and 60% for wheat. And then that's not even touching all of these other specialty crops. So we can very safely say it's in the hundreds of millions of pounds per year. But what's difficult is we don't really know how much because the people making them and using them are not required to report on how much they're using or even where they're using them when they're used as a seed coating. I do want to make it clear, this is not my attempt to try to vilify America's farmers and growers or agricultural sector. They perform such an important service. Farmland is a really important habitat for birds as we're growing more and more crops. That's where we find a lot of them. However, the systems that govern neonics and how they're approved and how we report on them, that's what really catches everybody up. And that's a lot of the work that we do at ABC is on that regulatory side of it. We're not going after farmers. We don't want to vilify them at all. Following up on that, I don't think most people are aware of how long lived neonicotinoids are in the plant itself and also in the ground. Exactly. If you were to grab a a bag of neonicotinoid coated seeds, or you read the label of a neonic that you're spraying somewhere, it'll say it has a half-life, which means how long it takes for 50% of the chemical to degrade down at least 50%. It'll say it's anywhere from usually 15 to 20 days, which is a normal lifetime for an insecticide. So if you're using it and you read the label and you look at that, you're going to go, okay, so it's only going to last this long. That's not so bad. They've done tests and found in fields that neonics have persisted for anywhere from one and a half to three years in the soil after they have been used. And you were talking about neonics in the plant. And I'm so glad that you said that because this is one of the, the crazy things about how they work. Neonics are a systemic insecticide. And what that means is they are designed to be grown into a plant. It's not just something that's on the outside. It actually gets incorporated into all of the tissues of a young plant or the plant that it's sprayed on. And the idea is pretty smart, honestly. It's supposed to work such that a bug comes along, a pest insect, it bites into the stalk or the leaf. And because that stalk or leaf has the chemical in it, they are going to be affected, it's going to kill the pest, and then the plant keeps growing afterwards. The way the chemical makes its way into all the plant tissues, and I, I'm so sorry that your listeners can't see these fantastic hand motions I'm doing. I've got a whole like interpretive dance thing going along with this. I should open a roadshow with that. But anywho, <laughs> they, they grow the chemicals into every single part of the plant, and that happens because they're very, very water-soluble. Neonics are designed to be carried by water and distributed all over the place. This means they make their way into all sorts of a part of a plant. That's what they're supposed to do. It also means that when a field has rain come onto it or when the crops get watered, a lot of that neonic gets carried by the water into groundwater. It can make its way into aquifers or it can go into streams and rivers and ponds that are nearby that pick up on that agricultural runoff. And when that happens, neonics keep doing what they do best, which is killing insects. When they're in the crop fields, they're targeted at the pests that we don't want, the things that are eating our food supply. But when they go into the local pond or the stream or they get into the soil, they're going to start killing or impacting invertebrates that they're not supposed to be having an effect on. Caddisflies, earthworms, mayflies, 
all sorts of different midges, all of these important insects that not only aerate our soil, but that are huge, hugely important food sources for birds. And so I call it the, it's the one-two punch for birds because not only are neonics really dangerous for them when they're primarily exposed. So if they eat a seed that has the neonic on it, or they pick up a grasshopper that just got coated with a neonic, but when the chemicals get into the water and into the soil and they keep killing all the insects that aren't crop pests, birds are losing out on a huge food supply. And it's been argued, I'd say pretty successfully, that that might be the most dangerous part of neonics. It's not the direct impacts they have on birds, which is substantial. It's this huge loss of insects that birds need, not only for food, but also to pollinate plants, to make fruits that they might feed upon, to give them habitat to live in. So it's it's just a mess. If, to, to use a scientific term, it's a hot mess, you know. <laughs> now, the research is showing that uh, parent birds work awfully hard feeding their babies and that an average nest of chickadees, the parents will have to catch 4,500 to 5,000 caterpillars just to raise these nestlings to the point where they can fledge from the nest. So they're already working so hard to find the insects they need to raise their young. Oh, yeah. This makes it doubly hard to find live, healthy insects to feed their babies without inadvertently killing their own young. With Precisely. Poison. Yeah. Have, have you ever watched, you know, chickadees or other birds go to and from their, their bird houses or their nests, I should say? It's incredible. It's incredible to watch them go. They go all day long. They seem absolutely tireless. And like you said, that 4,500 caterpillars or worms or whatever it is, for a chickadee, these tiny little songbirds to raise one single clutch, one single generation. That's not to say that the same pair of chickadees might have another nest that year. And that's not to say anything of birds that are larger than chickadees, thrushes and bluebirds, and even in some cases, different wrens that are a lot bigger. There's actually been some estimates that say about 96% of the birds in North America rely on insects at some point in their life cycle. And for most of them, it's while they're raising their chicks. So if you take away this insect prevalence, if you make it harder for them to find bugs, you are absolutely going to have an impact on future generations. And all the way back in 2014, there was a fabulous study done by Casper Hallman in the Netherlands. And he looked at the decline of a few different species of farmland bird, and he tried to find why these birds were declining. And he looked at all sorts of different factors. Was it the expansion of agriculture? Was it the area that they lived in? Was it the type of crop that was used? He, he looked at a lot of different things. And the only factor that correlated with bird decline was the use of neonicotinoid insecticides. And what he found from looking into it a little bit more was that it wasn't the birds being directly exposed. It was exactly what you're talking about. It was the fact that these birds were not able to find enough insect life to then rear chicks successfully because these areas had heavy neonic use, which meant that all of these insects, the chickadees, and in this case, in Europe, I believe it was corn buntings and a few other species really relied upon, there just wasn't enough food there. There's even been a few studies also done in Europe. There's some great work in France and in the United Kingdom 
that have shown when birds don't have adequate insect resources, what do they turn to? They turn to seeds because they're readily available. They turn to plants that are seeding, but of course, our agricultural system. So if neonics are causing a decline in insect life to where birds say, I don't have enough to feed my kids. I need to start looking for some other stuff. What do they go to? They go to seeds. And what are many seeds coated with in agriculture? Neonics. So it's just this really interesting feedback loop that we're experiencing right now. So tell me now, what is your organization recommending? Yes. So this is, I've really painted a picture of doom and gloom here, and it's, it is very important that we do something about it. This is something that we need to take seriously. Working in and around pesticides, there's always the desire to compare whatever chemical we're talking about in that particular moment to DDT and Silent Spring from Rachel Carson. I will say in the limited time I've been working on this about two years now, all the different types of chemicals I've looked at, all the ways that they're impacting wildlife, the only one that I think has come close to truly being as impactful as DDT is neonics. It's neonic insecticides. This is something we need to take seriously. And so when you talk about what is ABC doing about this or what do we recommend to do, we think that this is a fabulous opportunity to engage with your legislators. This is a great opportunity to talk to your state representative, to talk to your congressperson, to talk to your senator, talk to your governor, talk to your city council. We have resources on our website that can help you do so. And in just about every state where there's a lot of neonic use, there are already dedicated garden clubs and bird clubs and chapters of larger environmental organizations that have ongoing neonic or anti-neonic, I should say, campaigns going. So look locally to see what you can do. We also recommend avoiding neonic use in your home or in your daily life as much as possible. Buy organic when you can, when it comes to fruits and vegetables. However, we know that that might not be an option for everybody. So as often as you can, avoid using pesticides. Avoid immediately going to the hardware store and buying a bunch of harsh chemicals that you're going to spray on your roses or your tomatoes at home to kill those insects. There are tons and tons of non-chemical ways that you can mitigate a lot of the pests that are coming in. And I mean, it's everything from, you know, putting up a birdhouse to attract birds near your garden so that they want to eat a lot of these insects to planting certain types of flowers. I plant marigolds and all my tomato beds because it helps keep a lot of soil pests away from my tomatoes. That's been extraordinarily helpful. You can make your own home formulations that are derived from soap and water or salt and vinegar. There's all these great things you can do that don't have these negative environmental consequences to them. And the other thing you can do, which it does require a little more legwork, but honestly, it's just reading the label. Look and see what the active ingredient is in whatever pesticide you might be reaching for. And if you notice that it's a neonic, and we've got a list up on our website, so you don't have to try to memorize them because there's the names get really complicated. I've gotten very good at Scrabble for memorizing all these different chemical names. <laughs> They're worth a lot of points, but avoid using a lot of those chemicals. And I, I will also say the most impressive work, in my opinion, that's being done and the work that ABC supports all across the country is states that are going out of their way to say, 
you know what, the Federal Environmental Protection Agency is not doing enough on this. We think we need a state law or a regulation to try to cut down on neonic use. So there are now 11 states in the United States that actually don't allow neonics to be sold at the hardware store to regular people like me that go in. You have to have a special pesticide license, which is normal if you're a landscaper or you work in a large agricultural operation. You have to have a special license. And so we recommend supporting those types of laws so that only the experts have access to them. That's great. And I would think patronizing your local community farm market that grows organic. Yeah. Talking it up with your neighbors. I think some neighbors are unaware that when they spray neonicotinoids, there is a drift that can occur into other people's yards that can really affect the pollinating plants and the insects that the birds want to eat. And like you said, local legislators, they actually, the ones I've spoken to are always very interested to hear what their constituents are worried about and just talking it up with everybody and trying, trying to educate and keep people aware that it's not poison that stays put. Right. That's, Oh, that's brilliant. That's the t-shirt right there, Catherine. I love that. It's not poison that stays put. Man, that is good. Thanks. I love that. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you've had that positive experience or, you know, people that have talked to their legislators. I'm lucky enough that my day job is working on policy that benefits birds and that deals with helping them not be as impacted by chemical pesticides. So I get to go to Washington, D.C. and talk to federal legislators and regulators. But I got to tell you, every Senate office and congressional office I've been in, every state legislator's office that I've been in, I have the title that says I know what I'm talking about, but they would much rather hear it from one of their constituents. And they pay a lot more attention when it comes from their constituents. There's this belief, and I certainly had it before I started doing policy work, that no one's going to listen to me. And it takes hundreds of thousands of calls or letters before my legislator will pay attention to me. It usually only takes about five or six phone calls to an office for someone to say, hey, there's a lot of people talking about this. We should give it special consideration. It can be thousands of letters. It can be a handful of letters. It can be a couple of emails. Just something that says to your representative and their staff, this is something that the people I represent, the people I'm responsible for, are worried about. So this is something I'm going to pay attention to. As constituents, we have so much power to help influence our representatives. And then in your day-to-day life, like you said, patronize your local farmers markets, talk to growers, talk to your homeowners association, talk to your neighbors and ask them, you know, what they're doing. I have a house here in central Ohio. We just bought our first house and we're not raking our leaves. We're leaving all of our leaves on our lawn this year, this, this fall, it's our first fall here. And I have already had so many conversations with my neighbors, you know, who come over and they go, so when are you going to get to raking up those leaves or, you know, oh, well, uh, I saw that you didn't put any chemicals down in your garden. You didn't put any fertilizer in your lawn. The people who lived here before you, they were always really taking care of it. And it's been a great opportunity for me to say, well, I'm also taking care of it. I'm just doing it in a different way. Did you know it's better for your grass in most cases? If you don't rake your leaves and you save yourself the time, and it's been a fabulous vehicle for just getting stuff to move that way. So it's 
there's no wrong way to go about well i shouldn't say that you know let's let's not throw things at people that's the wrong way but there's no there's no action too small that can help protect birds and give them a safer and less toxic place to live. This is not something that's only going to be solved in Washington, D.C. This is something that's going to be solved right there in your own backyard. Yeah, there's nothing like the power of example. You know, you're actually showing them literally how to keep the uh, wildlife safe. Yeah. Well, and as a a very good friend uh, said to me recently, it's poison that doesn't stay put. That's what I like to tell people. <laughs> I'm going to send you a T-shirt that says that. <laughs> please do. Please do. I will wear it every day. I love that. That's great. That's great. Well, as we wrap up here, is there anything else you'd like to say about the report to our listeners? I will say if you take it upon yourself to look at the report, the executive summary at the beginning hits all of the main points. It's very easy to read. And I think it's a fabulous resource for people to look at. We also have infographics that explain all the main points in a much more digestible way. But if you are able to go online and access it, we can provide the link. It's just abcbirds.org slash 2023 neonic report, N-E-O-N-I-C Send it along. If you send an email to your representatives, send them that. It's got all these fabulous citations in it. Everything is backed up by data and science. This isn't us just shouting into the void. So take a look at it, send it along to people who might be interested. And I love talking to people about this. I mean, it's not the most exciting sounding thing in the world, pesticides and how they impact wildlife, but I've become very passionate about it. And if you have questions, my email's right there on the report. Please reach out to me. I'd love to talk to you more. This topic couldn't be more important. So, Hardy, we're so grateful that you could join us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. I'd like to thank Hardy Kern for joining us today. You can access the new report on insecticides by going to abcbirds.org slash 2023 neonic report you can also contact hardy kern directly by writing to ehardykern at abcbirds.org join americans everywhere in the one third for the birds movement dedicate the back third of your yard to birds and other wildlife make this area a quiet zone with no leaf blowers or lawnmowers Plants native trees and shrubs so birds have plenty of insects to eat. Create a safe haven for birds to nest and raise their young. You will be rewarded with many hours of bird watching fun. For more information on One Third for the Birds, go to the Bird Hugger page on Facebook. And that's it for today's episode, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Have a great week and enjoy the birds. Bye for now.